Hello everyone, Merry Christmas. Welcome to the Science Shed uh, Christmas Edition 2016. Um, so the, the best way to view this podcast is actually via uh, YouTube. So we actually recorded this um, uh, with a movie, so that's the best way to see it. Um, however, if you prefer the, to listening to us, uh, whatever you're doing, uh, sit back, um, enjoy, and hopefully you have a great Christmas um, and a happy new year. See you later. Bye. Bunsen, Burner, Dolly, Internal, Combustion, Why Do We Need, Petri, Dishes, Oscar, Bay. Isaac, Newton, Transplanting! Merry Christmas, Steve! Nick! Hey! hey. Merry Christmas, we're back! We're back! Cheers! Oh, cheers! Hang on, hang on. <laughs> Ah, yeah, so we're doing a red wine. People who are looking at the YouTube version of yeah. this podcast. Is it, hello! Hello, cheers, Merry Christmas. Hello, it's Merry a, Christmas, everybody. Great a, to see you. It's a Christmas special of the Science Shed. For those that can't see me, I'm wearing antlers. You are wearing antlers, and I'm wearing a Santa hat. Yeah, you, you are. It's getting quite hot already. It's, it's very fetching. <laughs> Thanks. It's I kind think... of weird having a Santa hat and then having a pair of headphones over the top. Did you think about dyeing your beard white? <laughs> Well, could have that done. would look better. Or beard, beard baubles. That would beard work. baubles. I could have done that, couldn't I? friend of mine, Stephen, yeah. he hung some baubles in his beard and he entered a competition and he won a beard grooming kit. Wow. From whom? Uh, some company. Wow. I can't remember what they're called. But it looked very impressive. <laughs> but he's got like about a thousand Facebook friends, which I think helps in the right. voting stakes. That, that's true. So we, <laughs> and it did look good. Okay. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. We've got um, a couple of things to talk about. Uh, about Christmas. Got an action-packed show. Action-packed, that's right. Is it festive, Steve? I've got a couple of things. It's festive! So before Nick arrived, I was... uh, Ho, 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 ho! (laughs) Saturating the uh, mic, as always. Um, Oh, I feel like we need technical (laughs) bullshit, Steve. (laughs) You're just so creative when you just turn (laughs) up, do your thing. Um, Yeah, uh, yeah, we've got some some festive science things. Nick's come down to Cambridge, and we're back in my flat. This is Steve's flat. Again. He's done a special corner of it up. He's like cleaned the walls off so that they look white. If yeah. you move the camera fractionally to one side, yeah, there's, there's filth, filth up everywhere. the walls. Yeah, yeah. there's piles of old Chinese boxes. Steve lives by himself and he has a very poor sense of personal hygiene. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. So, yeah, when I come, he makes an effort by scrubbing one tiny corner of the flat. I'll sleep here <laughs> later. Right. He, he it's true. Not. I will be sleeping <laughs> Where we're sitting later on. It's so, so... It's Better so, go on the wine, eh? Cheers. Nick, Christmas. Hey, uh, Christmas. Ha, what's, what's, it, what's Christmas like in the lab? Tell me about it in, in Southampton. Does everything slow down? Does everybody turn off all of the... Kill all the cells and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. They can, of, so, the, I mean, cells... Some people want to stay over Christmas. To keep their cells alive. Yeah. My, so one explain of my, that to some people that's never done cell culture. How does that work? Oh, right. So... When we work in a lab, we work on cells. So yeah. it's quite an interesting story. I'm not going to go into the long history of cell culture. But basically, you can grow human cells in a dish. Yeah. And you can grow one type. And they grow forever, right? So you, Some, as long as you give them food, they keep well, going. Well, no, there, there are different types. Right. Some cells will grow forever. There are cells which are called continuous cell lines. Yeah. Which will, they'll never stop dividing. They're like cancer cells. Some continuous cell lines are cancer cells. 
Yeah. Some of them spontaneously, when you grow them in culture, they will grow forever. And they kind of have become so, so when pe- people, a dish. people think of like a Petri dish. It's <clears throat> like, you know, you have a kind of a flask that's similar to that with media, which keeps the cells alive, gives them food and proteins and sugar and stuff. And they just kind of, keep, if, you, if you keep them in that environment at the right temperature, they'll just keep on dividing and, and growing. Yeah, so like human, you can grow human cells in dish. Actually, I've had some cells taken from my arm. Can you see that little scar there, Steve? Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody, on the video. You, you can't see it from where you are. Maybe yeah. I'll take a close. I had some cells taken on my arm. Yeah. So you can you can take them from your arm and you can put them in a, a dish. It's basically a plastic container, like yeah. a Petri dish, and it's got a charged surface, so you have to treat the surface. And then you pour on what's called medium, right? And the medium is basically loads of salt, yeah. some vitamins, yeah. some amino acids, yeah. so those are the building blocks of protein, and then about 10% of it is the serum from cow blood. Right. Calf and so blood. So serum's just all the bit, the stuff left over after you've taken the, uh, the, the red blood cells out, right? Yeah, imagine you, you, you give some blood. Yeah. You take the blood, you spin it down in a centrifuge, yeah. and all of the red blood cells will go in a big lump at the bottom, yeah. and the white cells will form a layer as well. Yeah. And then you take the top bit off, which is kind of a horrible yellowish colour. But you add a little bit of that to your cells. Yeah, about, about 10% of your medium is that, and that's what helps the cells grow. You put them in a dish... And they stick to the surface of the plastic in yeah. the Petri dish and then they divide. And they grow all over the surface until they cover it and then they stop dividing because they know. Yeah. They can feel each other. They can feel their neighbours and it's oh, That's cool, isn't it? How does that work? Do people know a that? Bit full. Yeah, it's cool. It's a process called contact inhibition. Right. Um, so once they, they get a bit crowded, they decide not to divide as readily. Is that right? Yeah, non-cancerous cells do that. Cancerous yeah. cells, they lose contact inhibition. That's why cancer is dangerous. Right. Contact inhibition, cells know that they've got lots of neighbours. And yeah, we're in a nice sheet. Hooray. All of our mates are next Hooray. to each other. We're in a monolayer, one yeah. layer thick. Cancer cells are like, fuck that. Yeah. Here we go. And then they form a massive ball of stuff. Right. Um, and in your body, if you've got cancers, obviously if you've got cancer, it's the reason that it's, it's dangerous is because they just keep, continue growing and yeah. they overgrow things and grow into stuff. So um, yeah, so, so we you, use those in the lab. You, we use some of those in the lab, not as quite as many as you, but you kind of have to you have to turn them, basically kill them all uh, during um, uh, dur- if there's if people aren't there to look after their cells to give them all of the vitamins and the serum and the and the and the media, then they just die, right? So everyone kind of turns kind of kill, freezes them down and, and and turns them off over over Christmas. Yeah, so you usually feed them three days a week: Monday, Wednesday, it's like a, Friday. Like more, slightly less than a goldfish. A bit less. Well, I don't know how often do you feed a goldfish. I don't know. I've never had one. <laughs> have you not? It's it's less often than a cat. Right. Because I feed my cat every day. Right. Okay. Twice a day. More about my well, cat <laughs> later on. Oh, interesting. <laughs> We've got some presents. I bought Nick a present because I, I kind of bought him one because I knew he bought me one. So I had to think up something. So I was walking around and I even wrote a big tag. So it's um, YouTube friendly. Look, and I'll show the camera. It says like to Nick. I'm going to give him that later. I didn't write any tags. Mine are in that big pile that you can see in front of Steve. Yeah. But you'll notice that there are more presents I'm giving Steve than he's giving me two. <laughs> I'm well, giving him four. Well, as we all know, the, the, the quality, it's, it's the size <laughs> and the number that matters at Christmas, Absolutely. isn't it? It's volume. It's, it's, it's quantity, not quality. As we know in the world of academic publication. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, so the cell stuff, yeah, yeah. We, all my students have frozen them down. Yeah. Apart from one student who's super keen at the moment, I think. Not quite sure. Um, but yeah, so... There's a slow time in the lab. It's the one, one time of the year I'd probably say that people really kind of take... Because the, the, they know everyone's going to be away. 
uh, you're probably going to have to kill yourselves. You know, you try and trying to get stuff finished, but ultimately, you know, you know, it's it's actually slightly a, a relaxing. Stuff. It's like when you're at school and you get to watch like a movie in the in, in the class at Christmas. You well, know, in my in my, I remember at school, my history teacher always used to just play Blackadders for the last sort of three weeks of term. Wine. We're in Blackadder time. Yeah. In history lessons, or you just like don't do anything. Yeah, so it's the kind of academic equivalent of that. I think it's the same in any job that you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably true. Well, yeah, probably. I had one teacher who would step it up at the end. Really? Just they would like they would science they would teacher chosen. or geography. Uh, actually, a history teacher. History. Again. Different history teacher. Really trying to cram in. They'd be like, "No, we're not stepping it down. In fact, yeah. they step it the other the other way, so it gets more <laughs> intense before Christmas." So it's Christmas, right? So what what things do you associate with Christmas? What's, what does Christmas mean to you? Um. It means so you're waking up Christmas Day, right, uh, you know, booze, booze, right? Got some, got some, got some science about some booze for you. What? So, do you remember when we had that conversation about whether you could get powdered alcohol? <laughs> we're talking. Like, what were you going to say? Right. So I found I've come across this paper, Nick. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's a paper from PNAS, um, which is the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science, but Nick well, likes to call it penis. Yeah, PNAS. Um, by um, a, a gentleman called Philippe Schmidt Coplin, and this is the title of the, the part of the of the research article. Says, "Hi, Philippe." By the way, yeah, hi, Philippe. Philippe. I'm sure he watches. Big mm. fan fan of the science show. Oh yeah, friend of the science show. Yeah. Um, uh, unraveling different chemical fingerprints between a champagne wine and its aerosols. So it's a so it's a it's a peer reviewed uh, it's a proper scientific paper. I'm going to read you um, uh, the start of it, and it says. Um, uh, as champagne or sparkling wine is poured into a glass, the myriad of ascending bubbles collapse and radiate a multitude of tiny droplets above the free surface into f- into the form of very characteristic and refreshing aerosols. This is way too kind of poetic. For a, the myriad <laughs> it, of it, ascending it gets bubbles. It gets worse. It gets worse. Right? <laughs> it's not, it's so, hardly technical. So, so what these people are doing is they're looking. They're using mass spec, right? So mass spec, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, is a, is a is a analytical tool that's used very widely in in chemistry and in um, uh, biology. So you know when people get like done for like drug doping or something, that's yeah, ne- yeah. nearly always uh, confirmed by mass spectrometry. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so it's, it's a technique of separating out different compounds, and then you can work out what they are. So, so what this paper's about is about champagne, and it's about looking at flavor compounds, all the different compounds that are in the champagne, and whether they are, they're different in the bulk of the champagne, in the liquid bit of the champagne, or if they're different in the bubbles. Yeah, right? but why? Why? Why should I? <laughs> I this is going to annoy you. Because I only drink the, the champagne. But so not the bubbles. No, no, but the, but there isn't. I'll, I'll come on to it. So, so basically, surely it you should compare off, a flat one and a fizzy one. Well, it does do that. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. Does I that. should have been involved in this study. Yeah, exactly. Well, actually, when you look at the the the, the methods, the materials and methods, there's a very small amount, like two mils, was <laughs> used. I was like, well, I wonder what happened with the rest of that champagne. <laughs> anyway, so it starts off and says that this is you know looking at how bubbles form on the surface of o- of water on like oceans, very well established, very well understood. You know, like they want to, but but with booze, not so much. It says. Um, he says, from a conceptual point of view, the situation found in glasses poured with champagne or sparkling wine is quite similar to that of the described above, of these kind of churning bubbles on the on the surface of, of, of the sea. He says, um, uh, then it goes to say, nevertheless, only quite recently, the tools of physical chemistry were used to identify the physical mechanisms behind this nucleation. Hang on a minute. Yeah. So you've got some champagne. So champagne's in a bottle. Champagne's in a bottle. You pop the cork. It 
goes fizzy. I've got some numbers for you. It's really... And hang on, yeah. but like I just want to get my facts yeah. straight here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the reason things in bottles are fizzy is because it's something to do with the pressure and the carbon dioxide comes out of solution. So is that what happens? Yeah, so in champagne and all fizzy wines, what happens is you do a second fermentation. So you have yeast in, in there, and the yeast turns all sh- the, sh- the sugars, the fructose in the grapes into booze. <clears throat> and then what happens in champagne is you put that in a bottle and you put some more yeast in it, yes. and then you seal the bottle. That's where the pressure comes from. That's where the pressure... Well, but what? that doesn't happen in Coca-Cola. No, that's different. The Coca-Cola is also fizzy. Yeah. So let's work it out. So, so typically five litres of carbon dioxide escape from a 75 centilitre, uh, 75, um, uh, 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 0.75 litre bottle litre. of champagne. Okay. Right. Um, five litres. So they work it out, right? And they can work out. So the that's, t- uh, hang on a minute, that five litres, that's about um, 0.2 moles of carbon dioxide. <laughs> is that right? Uh, yeah, it's about right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Point two moles of calm dark side. Yeah, so hang on, hang on, hang on. Can I just finish this? Yeah. Because I feel like I'm on a roll. Yeah, do it. Point two moles of yeah. calm dark side is about eight grams of carbon dioxide. Uh, I'd have to do a bit more. Yeah, that's about right, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good, nice work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. so anyway. So, Surprising so the, how heavy so gas the, is. The, bubble, the bubbles are point, about 0.5 of a mil, roughly, mm. and it's a champagne, right? Mm. It's five litres. So you can work it out. There's about 10 to the eight bubbles that will, that, will, that will come out in a bottle of champagne. You know, ten to the eight. So that's a um, hundred million. Hundred million bubbles in every bottle of champagne. Hundred million. Isn't that cool? Whoa! There's a hundred million bubbles in a bottle of champagne. Yeah, which is about eighty meters cubed of surface of bubbles. So, so where the bubbles meet the liquid, that there's there's that, that that obviously the smaller the bubbles you make, the more surface it has as a function of the volume. So so actually, if if, if compounds like to partition out in the bubbles, so some of the flavour likes to go into the bubbles. But how yeah. can you have the surface expressed as a volume? The, the 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 surface no it's not meters cubed sorry meters squared meters squared sorry, meters squared, said, meters squared, cubed, meters squared. yeah meters squared sorry sorry yeah but so, I need to fact check you no you're absolutely you you got I need to right hold there. you to that yeah yeah so this is this is how the chemists think about champagne right it says champagne and sparkling wines are multi component uh, hydroalcoholic solutions supersaturated with carbon dioxide dissolved gas molecules formed together when ethanol du- formed together with ethanol during the fermentation process hmm. it's um so so what they do is they take these bubbles so the question the, the scientific question they're addressing is is, is do, do the bubbles affect the flavor of champagne well yes well no, I, no first of all first of all i'd like to just Point something out here. Yeah. Flavor is something that's a subjective term. It's nothing. It's non-objective. Indeed, but but okay. If you did so champagne, does it affect and it was the flat. chemical composition? Does the bubble? Do the bubbles affect the chemical composition of the champagne? Yeah. Um. Well, I don't know because it depends whether you. It depend if you're drinking the gas phase. Yeah. Then you may be tasting something different, which yeah. is not present in the liquid phase. Yeah. So there may be some weird thing on your tongue. So that's so so exactly right. So so what they found is when you so they did these experiments where they looked at all the compounds that are present in flat champagne and all of the compounds that are fresh that are present as champagne still bubbling. And yeah. They looked at the difference in those things and they said, "Is there any difference?" And this technique they use, this mass spectrometry, is very very sensitive to to these these compounds. And they find that they do. There's there's actually there's there's flavor. There's compounds that that much readily like to be in the bubble than they like to be in the liquid. And so those flavors that you might not necessarily be able to taste are much more present in the bubble. 
So, so, at, so the argument for so you know champagne flutes are kind of long and thin. So did they separate the bubbles and the champagne and then do mass spec on both? No, they did the bubbles and the champagne and just flat champagne. Oh right, and right, they right, took right. The, the they took the difference. Um, but they go through and they you know it's a proper paper. There's lots of graphs and things, and then it said they can discriminate that there is a difference in those compounds. And actually, when you think about a champagne flute, it's long and tall, and actually they work out the rate constant for the partitioning, and actually it takes about a second on that. So what you want is as those bubbles transition. What you want is a long, thin tube because what it does is it, it gets more of the flavor compounds into the gas bubble so because it has a longer to travel. So you don't want to have one of those kind of like shallow ones, you know, when they pour not, a bottle on the top you, and it dribbles exactly. down. Yeah, those it. kind of like So bowls. you want to have a proper flute. That's so, the best way to yeah, enjoy but it's scientific, scientific evidence of why you want a flute. Oh, there you go. And then at the end, you'll hate this. He says this. So this is the last sentence of the paper. He says, champagne wines thus. Uh, uh, sorry, it says champagnes thus supporting the idea that rising and collapsing bubbles act as a continuous paternoster lift for the aromas in every glass of champagne. Can we bleep out what I'm about to say? What a. Yeah, it's awful, isn't it? Paternoster lift. There's sorry. There's one just going on a pat. There's a, there was a yeah. paternoster lift at Sheffield University. Uh, there's one at Essex too. Jesus, so dangerous! <laughs> Hell, man. <laughs> really scary. Are you remember that bit at the end of Total Re Total Recall when With, the man's um, arms uh, come off? Yeah. Welcome to the party, Rick. That's a pat. <laughs> So if anyone doesn't know, so Patanos the lift is like this weird lift. Uh, some, Patanos is some Greek, it's some Latin term for it monks. It means our father. It? Yeah. But it's like a lift that doesn't have any doors. So it kind of continually, if you imagine like a kind of uh, an escalator, but a lift going up between two floors. So you have to kind of step on and off it while it's moving. Can I just and say, Steve, that you're at Cambridge. Yeah. You should understand some Latin. basic Latin. Steve, do you want to know about my quote board at work? Your quote have board? Have you got a quote board? No, it was a quote board. On our wall in our office, we've yeah. got a quote board. Yeah. So when so someone says something funny yeah. or silly, someone, if they notice it, they'll write it down on the board. Yeah. Do you want to hear some? Go on then. You've got to guess which one I said. We'll go through okay. Okay. System restore is great. If only life was like that. <laughs> Have you ever thought that? Yeah. Um, if, if you could just go back, rewind. System restore, right? Yeah. Does that still exist? It does, yeah. If you, um, yeah. I've not they call used it, it for a long time. But system restore, you do something on your computer and it yeah. forgets everything that's happened in the past seven weeks and you go back to like an, another point. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? It's very good. Uh, yeah, I don't think that was you. No, because this is not you're not technically minded at all. You'd just be swearing at something. You wouldn't be... Kick the hell out of yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I've had a run-in with our IT department recently, actually. <laughs> really? What? Their solution to any computer problem <laughs> is, bring it to us, we'll rebuild it. It's like, no, just don't want to, I don't want to have to get all of my stuff. Yeah. You know, I don't know where things are on my computer. Yeah. It'd take me weeks to locate everything. It'd be, it's like kind of analogous to being some kind of Welsh sheep farmer. All my sheep are scattered over Powys. And, and I've got to somehow them, say, find just get all your sheep back, we'll sort it out. It's not that easy. I like, I like your analogy. I've got loads of like yeah. programs. Yeah. Like it took me like about five hours to find where my like PDFs on Mendeley were, all my papers. So these are all my documents right. that I get from a literature search thing that I've got on my computer. Yeah. They all get assembled somewhere. It's a mystery to me where it was. Yeah. It took me a while to find it. I found them there. Anyway, um, yeah, so I don't like the fact that they make you rebuild your computer every time anything goes wrong. I've got another quote here. Yeah, go on then. Um, and you won't get this one, right. I don't think. You might get it. Is it, it. biologically? Yeah, it's okay. biological. I might get it. You might get it. I'm not, yeah. Shall I try you? Go on then. 
My willpower gene is methylated. So you're talking about it's... Is that an epigenetics joke? Yeah, well done. <laughs> I'm impressed. What does it mean? Um, that's... Uh, I don't know what it means. So basically, in your DNA, you've got loads of DNA in your cells. And um, it depends. You, what, what a cell does depends on what, what parts of the DNA are switched on, yeah. what genes are switched on. Some are switched off, some are switched on. And some of that's controlled by other proteins the cells make. Yeah. And some of it's controlled by little chemical groups which are added to parts of the DNA. And sometimes they are methyl groups. So that's a carbon with four hydrogens on it turns into three when it's a methyl group. So methane's got four. Yeah. The methyl group's got three. They bind to the surface of part of the DNA molecule. I can't actually remember which part the methyl group's on now. Do you know? Uh, no, but... We'll I, do I, a little fact check yeah. later on. But anyway... What happens if it's methylated is it's inactivated. Right. Do you see how shit that joke is now? That's a terrible My joke. My willpower gene is methylated. I mean, it can't be asked. Can't be bothered. We do go to extreme lengths just to kind of... We've had this conversation before, but science should be about explaining the world, not making it more complicated. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, hit me again. I'll do this one in the voice that the guy did it in. So this is obviously not you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, it might be. All right. Okay. Sometimes I put on silly voices. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Latex. <laughs> God, that's geeky. No one's going to get that. So, um, guy in the lab, brilliant guy. Love him. He's left now. But someone was having problems with a Word document. Right. Um, and Word it can be a bit flaky on a computer. And... Um, He's obviously a geek. Have you heard of latex? Yeah, we use it all the time. Oh, what a lot of fucking dark. Yeah, physicists love it. Anyway, Anything with equations in, like the latex is the way to go. Two people were struggling with Word in some... So it's a, so people don't know, it's a software package that allows you to kind of make reasonably pretty uh, reports and figures. It's, it's a kind of really complicated desktop publishing, basically. Yeah, it's like Word, Word where you have to do more of the work yourself. Yeah. Um, but there were two people struggling to work word yeah and he, sh he shuffles up behind them <laughs> yeah i've said it before i'll say it again latex right it's actually pronounced latex as well i didn't know that before. yeah tech or just um, tech sometimes. the final one is right. um what's the final here where is it i used to think that drinking a this bottle of you. newcastle brown ale in the bath was the height of decadence <laughs> that is unequivocally without a shadow of a doubt your quote no science relation to that <laughs> one at all. So, Nick. Steve. It's um, one of the other good things about Christmas that I like is it's the Christmas lectures. Do you like the Christmas lectures? No. You don't like the Royal Institution no. Christmas lectures? Why not? Do you know who's doing it this year? Uh, so, can I it's just... a chemist. Can I just elaborate, first of all? Yeah. I do like the Royal Institution. So, ex we should expa explain what the Christmas lectures are. Well, there was a guy called <clears throat> Humphrey Davy who's actually famous for discovering um, some of the Group 1, the alkali metals. That's right, yeah. Alkali Earth Group 2? Two? Uh, 2, yeah. Alkali metal. Sodium, he discovered sodium. He also invented the uh, miner safety lamp. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, which was a way of stopping miners getting blown up when methane was in the tunnel. He used to do public lectures yeah. in the Royal Institution. 
he was like some kind of dude in there. I think he was like the, I don't know what you'd call it, curate or something. Yeah. But he was a sci- an early scientist. This was the late 1700s. Um, and A- 1825 was the first one. Uh, officially, they were called that, but there yeah. were lectures long well, before that's that. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, and there were, and, and Faraday, Michael Faraday, who was a bookbinder's assistant, my, used my, to go to them. His yeah. dad was, I think his dad, or no, someone in the family was a bookbinder. He used to go to Humphrey Davies' public lectures, yeah. where they used to show things like laughing gas and things like that. And he would write up very detailed notes. Isn't that awesome? He'd, he'd write up these amazingly detailed notes and send them to Faraday. Yeah. And Faraday liked the notes so much. You don't mean Faraday. Sentence, oh, sorry, yeah. Dumpford, Davy. Yeah. yeah. Davy liked those notes so much that um, he invited Faraday to come and help him out because yeah. one of his assistants, assistants blew like his eyes out or hurt a finger or something. Awesome. So he took over a position, Faraday he, did, Faraday, and they kept up the tradition. For, yeah, Enlighten Far- me Faraday, more, Faraday nailed it. He really... So So I've got the list in front of me now because I had a look at it earlier. So, so from 1851 to 1860, he did it every year, Faraday. He was just like, he was loving the, the community. So he used to invite, predominantly it's for children. I think that's always been the case. They've tried to kind of uh, explain science in a way that uh, people uh, hadn't seen before. So he did one year on attractive forces, did another one on chemistry, voltaic electricity, the, the chemistry of combustion, attractive forces, static electricity. Well, just on that note, I mean, Faraday was one of probably the the best and the first people who did public engagement for kids. Yeah. He wrote a famous book it's called The Natural History of the Candle. Do you reckon someone's watching this and taking notes to send to us? Mm. <laughs> uh, There's a future I Michael think they're, Faraday. They're writing abusive tweets maybe. Yeah, the bottom half of the internet which would just be below here on YouTube <laughs> is people shouting at us. Um, yeah, so every year there's um, uh, there's a kind of a series of lectures. There's normally about five, is that right? right? There's about yeah, five something lectures. like that. Um, about They're usually given by the same person, aren't they? Normally. Well. So so uh, David Attenborough's done it. Yeah. Uh, Richard Dawkins has done it. I remember John Sulston doing them. Yeah. And he's, I like those ones because he's not really a very good <laughs> public speaker. And well, they were chemists. like... They're all scientists, so they generally aren't. They, right? And they're like, they're on TV. Yeah. But they're, they're just kind of like, they're just a bit shit. Aren't they? <laughs> yeah, it's all a bit awkward <laughs> when there's someone like comes in, a like little Smithers character, just kind of <laughs> wheels in there like really bad explanation. Yeah, who's so, doing it this year? So uh, it's a it's a materials chemist um, called um, uh, what's his name? Oh man, I lost his name. Uh, oh, it's uh, Saiful uh, Saiful Islam. His name is. Cypher Islam? Yeah. Isn't he a chorus, science correspondent for the BBC? Or am I thinking of Faisal Islam? I think, yeah. <laughs> racist. Um. <laughs> it's not racist. He's got a similar name. It okay. would be like yeah. Mick Evans and Nick M- Evans. Yeah, I agree. So I, I can think it's um, easily confused. So he's, he's got his, his material. He's doing the whole series on, uh, basically, he, he does research on battery storage. So he's doing it on kind of the problem, the energy problem, Where's how to from? solve it. Um, he is, I think he's from the south somewhere, but he, he works in Bath. Oh, right, um, okay. uh, and yeah, there's it's a series. Very wet in the past. Not very good. <laughs> Electricity never. Yeah. Works well. well, that's why he's such a good researcher. Because even if you're in the bath and you research no, you batteries, kill exactly. That's how good he is. Classic. It's a self-selection. Yeah. Um, yeah so uh, the 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 Royal Institution Christmas lectures are coming. I always get quite excited about those. I really enjoy them. Um, but I, I don't think many people really watch them um, unless you're a scientist. Um, they're pretty boring. You think? Yeah, they're boring. Did you watch boring. Richard Dawkins' ones? Was good. He did, he did growing up in the universe. I don't good. like Richard Dawkins. And um, Pete Pete Wothers, who's a colleague of mine at, at Cambridge, he he did <clears> he did them in 2012. Oh right. And he okay. burnt he burnt a diamond uh, did he? in liquid oxygen. Yeah. And, and did he blew up? 
it, well, it just burns. Really? Yeah. Do you know what's cool about diamond? Diamond dissolves in steel. So if you take a diamond and just put it on like a steel plate and put it in the oven and cook it, dissolves. it, it disappears. Can you get it back out again? Well, you can, but it's but it's not. It's just carbon once it's dissolved. It makes oh, steel. No. So imagine that you like go, you get in your lab. You can you know you want to do some Kill experiment. You just you like just like putting sugar in tea. Diamond dissolves in steel at a hot enough temperature. That is crazy, isn't it? Cool. Well, um, he's a vandal. <laughs> I don't advocate that. No. Um, yeah, so that's um, uh, so the Royal Institution of Dyslexia. I think that will be fun. I'm looking forward to those. Um, we can maybe talk about those um, if you, you, you don't like them. You think they're no, boring. I'm not going to watch them. They're boring. Okay, well I'm going to watch them. And tell you how watch good them, they and you can tell me about them. Well, Save boring. me the effort. Nick, we messed up. What? Yeah, the camera stopped working for some reason. Oh no. Yeah, so we're in the middle of Nick giving me a very kind present. Yeah, it was a crystal skull. Crystal skull. Yeah. So through the magic of editing, we're going to have to drop you back into the science shed. We're sorry about that. About now. Nick, thanks so much. There's my first present. We just had a few technical difficulties there, so we might not have seen it. But Nick bought me some um, a crystal skull. Merry uh, Christmas, That's really Steve. kind of you. Thank oh, you. Oh, that's all right. All right, so I'll, it I'll leave that expensive, there. Steve. Right, I'm going to open another one, Put then I'll you. get you to open one. All I right. don't quite know why I bought this. <laughs> but I was imagining you it's working like... in the lab, like, sort of a bit obsessive. Yeah. Your students, you don't know what they're doing. Yeah. You, they're irritating you yeah. a bit. They're not up to scratch. Yeah. So I thought this would help you in the lab. <laughs> <laughs> so Nick's bought me some spy glasses so you can see what's going on behind you. Yeah, so... so thank you. Thank you very much. And you left the you left the um, uh, the, the price on as well. I'm going to put them on Did right now. Did I leave now. the price on? Yeah. I only bought them because... Don't drop them on the floor. Oh, so you impressive. drunk. Right. I only bought them because I thought maybe I could borrow them and then sort of use them in some kind of oh, changing yeah. room you setting. Can see, you can see behind yourself, so oh, that's cool. Can I have a go? Yeah, sure. Steve, how do they work? <laughs> <laughs> we do a whole bit. Can you see it? Oh, yeah, you can, can't you? They'll be really handy for you. You, you look, can be in the lab. <laughs> yeah. You can pretend you're wearing them for some laser shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you'll be seeing what your students are behind you. They'll probably be going like this. And you were like, I'm making a wanker sound. <laughs> Signed, by the way. <laughs> Nick, that's great. Yeah. You're showing my present now. So on, I want to see uh, what they look like. Okay, I've, I've got Nick a kind of a, a, a gift here with big Nick to it. Here you go. Thank Merry you. Christmas. Thanks, Steve. You know what? They actually like, look suit right. you as well. Yeah, wow. Do I look a bit like Jack Nicholson? There's something a bit Matrix about it. It's a bit disconcerting seeing seeing the lights behind me. So what's this? What's this bit of paper here? It just says Nick, so it would work well on for our YouTube watchers. So I'm very careful in my unwrapping. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you, Steve. So tell the listeners what I got you got. So Steve's bought me a book which is called "Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman" by many Richard Feynman. You, many of you will have heard of Richard Feynman, but for those of you who haven't. He was... Oh, you've written a little dedication in here. Yeah. Oh, Steve, and a little sticker. You really love me. we got stickers now. I didn't now. know. We're going to give some stickers away. Do you really love me? No, not really. <laughs> Nick, happy Crimbo. Yeah. Looking forward to more podcasts, Steve. Oh, this is like a heartfelt gift. No, the other one's not, so I'll make up for it. I have any heartfelt gift. Yeah, well. Anyway, Richard Feynman was a famous physicist. He was a very clever man. And he came up with um, quantum QED. Quantum electrodynamics, yeah. yeah. So ways of explaining or calculating quantum effects. Yeah. He used little pictures, actually, to do it. 
called Fe- they're called Feynman diagrams. Yeah, but he's also a very good science communicator. If you ever watch any of his, um, he uh, used to basically have sex with all of his students. Yeah, but he, he had a Nobel Prize man. at this point, so you can so just get away, get away with, away it. with it. Yeah. You can't get away with that sort of stuff anymore, it's, Steve. For some reason, that's frowned upon. Not that I've tried, <laughs> but you can't. Right. Well, oh, there you go. Thank you, Steve. Happy Christmas. Right, I'm going to do, your, you, I'm gonna so do this you, one. No, that one. So this, this one, this one okay, I think so we might come back to later. So because I'm going to shake it in front of you. I, I, I bought it, and um, I thought Steve would be intrigued. Yeah. And also, I've not, I don't know how it works, and I thought Steve might be able to explain how it works. And another time. The mystery UFO from the Science Museum. <laughs> How on earth it... does it fly? You question be... <laughs> mark. No batteries required. How does it fly? <laughs> but you like. Wow. You, I know you like aliens and crystal I, skulls yeah. and things like that. So you bought all, all of the all of the. Have you got? Is that full of like um um joysticks and uh, and like dream catch? It's a dream catcher, isn't it? <laughs> Wait All right, so Nick bought know. me a little toy from the so science museum. That's gonna, very kind. I don't want to sit here and watch you struggle to yeah. get it to work. So I think you, you maybe we can. I'll come do back some to homework. Could do we'll a demo. Do another, we'll do another. But tell you what, if we're on the, <laughs> I'll do. A, I'll cut to an edit of me playing with this tomorrow, and we can show you it working. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, cool. Thank you very much. Thank oh, you. That's all right, Steve. All right, you can open this now. This all is. Right, so this. You're going to do the last one. I think that's fitting actually. Yeah. Well. So this. Yeah. If I had to guess what it was, I would say it's a bottle of meths. <laughs> Merry Christmas. It's got a very methsy feel. Okay. It's kind of like it's a, a bottle and it's clearly thin plastic and squashy in the way that a meths bottle might be. Right. Okay. Do it. It's got a lovely ribbon on the top. Thanks. I bought those especially for you. God, you've got a feminine side, Steve. I didn't realise you had such it's not a... not feminine. I just care about, care about you've the aesthetic. Got very, you've got an aesthetic. Yeah, but that's not... I mean... I'm a bit of a... I mean, I have tried in some of those. I've seen. On my other, the other present I'm pointing at now. Which is, so, yeah. I, oh, I know what the bloody... <laughs> and I actually thought about buying this myself. Yeah. This is dionized... Is it really dionized water? No, it's not. I did oh, try I did try and find it. I went to five places today to just try and find... Just get it in the lab. Just pour it out the thing yeah, in the I, lab. Yeah, I was going to do that. But then I... Uh, so I bought, so if the, people haven't listened to the, the uh, science show before, Nick and I had a big argument about deionized water, whether it would kill you. Ooh. So I bought him a bottle of I'm water. I'm drinking it. <laughs> still alive. <laughs> I want people to tweet. I want... If anyone... Dies from drinking... I don't want to have water. another argument with you at Christmas yeah. <laughs> So let's not argue, but let's just say to people, if you want to find out about the deionized water argument, I think it's in podcast 13, if I remember right. Yeah. It may, may be in 14. I can't remember. But anyway, um, Steve thinks that uh, deionized water is toxic and dangerous. And I, I reckon... I understand can... about equilibrium. <laughs> and I think that you could drink as much as it as you wanted, you'd be totally fine, because I understand about biology. <laughs> All right, good. Right, final present, Nick. I've got to move my wine out of the way. Oh, what is it, Steve? What, what is, is it? it? So this is a much bigger present. This is in a big red box. Sorry, a big blue box. I want the box back, by the okay. way. <laughs> okay, it's semi-heavy. It's got a nice purple ribbon. It's got a purple tried, ribbon. Nick's I've tried to make, What's make in it, Steve? Effort. What's inside it? What's inside it? What is it? What is it? Oh, <laughs> of course. It's the snowman. Uh, oh, there's no even batteries in it. So no, no, you've got to push the little button on the end of the uh, wire. On oh, the end of the wire. Okay, hold on. There, there we go. go. So, uh, so for those of you that are I've listening, got, he bought me a snowman, but it's the, not. It's there's a, there's it's, a story to the snowman. It's a shiny, glittery snowman with a blue scarf and a lovely little black hat and a carrot for a nose. And yeah. when you push the button, it kind of lights up in sort of garish colours. 
Nick and I met in um, Stanford, and uh, yeah. it was Christmas one year. And Nick's partner <laughs> bought this ugly snowman, as you can see right in front of me. Um, and Nick hated it right from the start. And when um, <laughs> when uh, when they left uh, California, they gifted it uh, to me. I think I secretly left it in your house and then ran away because <laughs> <laughs> you knew you hated well, it. Well, I had a load of old shit yeah. that I wanted to get rid of, and I dumped it all in Steve's house without yeah. him sort of knowing about it, and then left. And because um, I knew he hated it, and do you know what? And, and then I posted it back. Posted it from for America yeah. back to the totally UK. worth it for a, for a gag. <laughs> and now we come it home. Cost to send it. Oh, I don't know. It was worth Probably it. Like ten, twenty dollars. Whatever, whatever. It was worth it. So for, now, for, I, now for, your, for your misery, it now, was worth it. Now I've returned oh, the Stanford Snowman. The Stanford Snowman. I'm glad to have it back. He's smiling at well, me I, with. I I can guarantee like I, I know what you're getting next Christmas. Oh, well, thank you very much oh, for my right. Thank you, Steve, for my lovely book Yeah, and for my bottle of water. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got, I've got some science about Santa to talk about. Ho, ho, ho. So uh, there's, there was a, um, an interesting uh, um, post from the uh, Journal of uh, Physics Special Topics. Oh, Santa. great. Yeah, so it wasn't a paper as such. So the Journal of Physics Special, special Topics are our old friends, yeah. and it's run out of the University of Leicester, and it's a kind of thing for um, undergraduates to learn how to write a science paper. So they write about something that's interesting or sort of fun. Exactly, in a but in a scientific way. style. So we've had before, how can Superman make time go backwards, and how can Batman safely jump off the top of a building? Yeah. But but uh, but what's going to happen in a couple of days, Nick, when Santa makes his rounds, is that Santa's got to deliver a lot of p- presents really quickly. How fast does he have to go? Well, so here's the logic, right? So Santa, there's two billion children, roughly, uh, people below 18 in the world. But since Santa doesn't um, appear to handle Muslim, Hindu, Jewish or Buddhist children, it's just the Christians mainly, right? Yeah, but um, I think Santa comes for other religions not, not too. For the, not for the, the sake of the snacks, okay, okay. right? So that reduces the workload to about 15% of the total population of children. So it's about 378 million kids he's got to deliver to. It's a lot right? of kids, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so this uh, 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 a kind of census rate that they have estimated about 3.5 children per household. That's kind of 91 million homes it's got, he's got to go to. Right? 91 million homes. Yeah. So Fuck, that's th- a lot of homes. That's a lot of homes. He's going. He's going to be a busy man, right? So he needs thirty. So if you add up the how whole, how long is ninety-one million seconds? Well, <laughs> I'll get to that. Oh, right. So, so there's thirty-one uh, hours of Christmas due to the time zones, right? Right from you know uh, because of the yeah yeah yeah. yeah you know, I get that. Um, so basically, Christmas lasts longer than a day because it takes exactly the sun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so assuming that he travels west, um, sorry, east to west, so it's, it's 822.6 visits per second he needs to do in order to, to get around 91. 822 visits per second? Yeah. yeah. That's like really fast. That's faster than, you know, in Formula One when they time things. Yeah. That's done to the thousandth of a second, isn't yeah. it? So, so he, you just about fit it in. For so in a thousandth of a second, he's got, a, he's got to park, hop out the sleigh, jump down the chimney, fill the stockings, uh, distribute the remaining presents under the tree, eat whatever snacks have been left, and go back up the chimney. But and how the, the hell is he the next so house. fat? Well, cause he's he, moving for, at that for speed. The rest, for the rest of the year, he's pretty chilled, right? So he gets, he's kind of like, he gets really obese and rotund, kind of like a walrus before the winter. And then yeah. at Christmas, he does this mental trip 
and then at the end of it, he's like this scrawny kind of yeah, messed he's up completely skag broken. addict Santa. Yeah. So, so that many that many's got to do. So, is is average speed then during that day, those thirty one hours, is uh, six hundred and fifty miles per second, right? Average order, speed. That's what. That's because he's got to go to. That's the the, the, the What's that in kilometers per second. Um, it would be like a thousand kilometers yeah. per second. And the speed of light is what? Uh, so it's about three three thousand times the speed of sound he's got to travel at in order to be able to do this. Bloody hell! So it's pretty good, right? He wake um, you up with a sonic boom. Exactly. Yeah. So so then the payload. Did you mention right? that? Yeah. So when uh, did this come out this year? Or no, this is a couple of years ago. Um, uh, so he said. So and then you have got to think about how much he's, he's got to carry, right? So he's got to carry all of the stuff he's got to distribute to the kids, right? And that's can be three hundred and seventy-eight million. No, ninety-one million houses he's got to go to because there's three hundred. There's about three kids per household. Yeah, but even so, if each kid's got a present, yeah. that's 378 so ass- million assuming presents. Assuming that each child gets something, a medium-sized gift, like a, like a Lego set, which is about two pounds, the sleigh has to carry... Two pounds? Roughly. Why is this an American? This well, is obviously it was done. Why yeah. are using Imperial I don't know. The sleigh has to carry uh, 321,300 tonnes of toys. Jeez. Yeah. So and that's not counting Santa. Would that uh, have any gravitational effects? Um, not really. It doesn't weigh that don't much. Explore it. But um, he says on land, conventional reindeer can pull no more than about three hundred pounds, and maybe that's why they did it in pounds because that's where they got that stat from. So, um, so even if we assume, so then the way they do is you can assume that a reindeer has uh, a flying reindeer like Santa's reindeer can carry ten times that of a normal reindeer, right? So you're being s- generous with the assumption. Yeah. Even then, you need t- uh, two hundred fourteen thousand two hundred reindeer. To carry all the Lego sets for everyone. You know what? That's a lot of names that rhyme with dancer. <laughs> How <Panzer>. many <laughs> Blitz and Cupid, Comet? But they don't all rhyme with dance, do they? Yeah. Could you reckon you, there's that many names? How many names are there in the Western world? Well, you mean you'd would have to be you'd en- have to, na- be to be able to names names for every reindeer? Probably not. Two hundred thousand names. We just make new ones like people these days. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I refer, refer to modern life. Yeah, people these days. People these days <laughs> naming their reindeer whatever they can't want. Pinky cane. Yeah, moon unit. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, so yeah. So that. So now we think about the energy associated with with Santa's trip, right? So he's taking three hundred fifty three thousand tons at six hundred fifty uh, meters per second, right? Sorry, miles per second. Think of the acceleration of the decelerator. Well, the air resistance is about, about 4.3 quintillion joules of energy, as they claim. They worked mm. it out. Um, What's a quintillion? A quintillion, I think. Oh, I don't know. No, I don't know, know either. I always get so standard billions, nine form. noughts. Yeah. What's 12 noughts? Quint must be 15 noughts, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. you're probably right. Yeah, um, yeah so, so that's per second each. So in short, they will burst into flames almost instantaneously, exposing the reindeer behind them and creating deafening sonic booms in their wake. Oh, wow. So you have to do it in a sort of an air-free atmosphere. Yeah, exactly. Can I offer an alternative explanation to Santa's ability? <laughs> no, we're not done yet. We're still on the energy, right? So each reindeer team would be would would be vaporized within four four point two six thousandths of a second. Santa, meanwhile, will be subjected to centrifugal forces seventeen thousand five hundred times greater than the gravity, and a two hundred and fifty pound Santa uh, would be pinned back in the sleigh with five million pounds of force. Jeez. Yeah. So he's not going to be a well Santa. So the conclusion basically is if he if he did really uh, deliver all those presents on Christmas Eve, he's dead now. 
But my my understanding of the Santa Claus thing, yeah. this is my understanding of what actually happens is okay. that he can slow time. Oh, so you think he's relativistic? He's relativistic. So, okay. So, so he can slow time down and he, he's he got time to do it. And he's also immortal. Yeah. He's like a Tom Bombadil, a Bombadil type <laughs> chap from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Mysterious, elf-like character, mischievous. Yeah. And also, it's all magic. You know, it's all magic. Ma- Wizard done it. W- yeah, you don't have to go into any details. It just happens. Oh, but isn't it Do fun you know to I mean? think about the, f- the physics of it? Well, I've enjoyed that, yeah. But I think that he doesn't explain. I mean, Santa, for me, is coming down my chimney this Christmas. I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing him. Okay, well, I'm... I'm <laughs> and I'm sure he'll be very well. He won't be all... He'll be jolly and fat, and he'll have rosy cheeks. Yeah. And he'll leave me a couple of presents... And Maybe all of the nice science stuff. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't worry about science. He must be quite. He drunk. works outside of the constraints of normal reality. Right. That's how they. This is the this is the argument they use in black holes and stuff, isn't it? And in religion. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a black hole related bit for you, Nick. Okay. Right. So you remember we were talking about before um, uh, the um, uh, the gravitational waves discovery. Yeah. And uh, there was a, uh, some atom moved like one thousandth the width of half a photon or something yeah so 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 there was two separate um uh labs were um, they wrong the uh the, no they there was they, one they, in japan wasn't there, well there's two there's actually two in um in in there's one in a place called hanford and there's one in a place called livingston they it's called the ligo experiment they? They yeah real deep underground it's an incredibly difficult experiment to do in fact it's, like it's by rays. far it's by far the most accurate measurement precise measurement we've ever made as as humans you know when i hear things like this and i feel like i feel like i'm donald trump now yeah because i'm not an expert yeah but i treat it with a certain amount of skepticism right because i know how hard it is to make measurements with de- any degree of certainty so so these these things are it's essentially a big interferometer so you have uh, you have a um a in the 70s they worked out how big that interferometer would be so an interferometer is just a a way of of, of having light interfere with itself and it can be very so, sensitive to distances so one of the famous examples of where people used that was in the uh, mickelson morley experiment, experiment exactly, in the 1800s yeah. where they wanted to find out um how light was slowed by the rotation of the Earth around the sun. Yeah. So they had an interferometer. Which basically, all it does is it shines light sideways from the way you're moving. Yeah. And then in the direction of the way you're moving. And, and there should be a difference. There should be a difference the in the path length. And the yeah, idea and was you can there. Measure, that... And you measure it not by timing it, but by looking at how each photon interferes with the other. Exactly. So, so it's a bit easier but the, to... But the distance of those... So it's basically it's a big tube with a laser in it. Yeah. Right? And that tube... Um, for uh, for these for these uh, gravitational wave experiments were two and a half kilometers long mm. in both in like a right angle. So these are two... down in the caves in wherever. It actually, was. Actually, these like aren't over. They're, they're not in the cave. They're not. That's one of them is. <coughs> but one of them's actually above ground, oh, but, right, it's, okay. but it's insulated well, and they have to be very sensitive to things a lot like of lagging. Yeah, they did experiments. Probably got some good sort of builders around there. Well, it's lagging. all it's all evacuated, right? So they suck all the air out, right? It's complete. So it's a vacuum with a laser shining in it. They they built these machines, right? right? And they built two of them in the US and actually built one on the other side of the world as well. And the idea was is that they were looking for the idea for gravitational waves is um uh that if you it just as if you drop a stone on a pond and it ripples. The idea is is that uh, Einstein predicted that that would be true for gravity too. And the, the trouble is is that the the size and uh, the the magnitude of things you have to do in order to be able to ripple gravity is very large. Very well, if you very. Think, large. I mean, I I can imagine this as well because yeah. 
But, so, but they're measuring uh, a difference that's less than one thousandth the width of a proton is the difference in, oh. in path length that they're measuring on these on these interferometers, right. right? Anyway, they turned it on and then they looked and they saw an event where two black holes were spiraling around each other and they kind of coalesced. And when they coalesced, they made a massive black hole. And during that time, there was a brief moment in that where the output of that was more energy than all of the suns in the universe put together. That's how that's how uh, energetic that process is. So you're talking is. about the whole universe. The whole universe of all the, the stars. The observable universe. Of all the observable universe. I don't, sorry, Steve, I don't believe it. <laughs> this is true. This oh, is no, that. no, I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't believe yeah. it. So 1.3 billion years ago, this thing happened, right? And it's the light from which has been traveling from from that event to us. For, it's taken that time. And do you know what did? They saw it with these, these, these um, experiments. And then they converted it into a sound. Nick, do you want to hear it? Cool, so this is the sound of two black holes um, uh, co Dude, coalescing into a is, single black hole. If this is a Muse song, I've heard it before. <laughs> okay. It came out in about 2005. Are you ready? <laughs> so this is from LIGO at Hanford. So LIGO is the name of the experiment they used to do this. And LIGO at Livingston. And this, they recorded the same thing and they turned it into a sound. So obviously it's light and they're measuring light. and they're measuring. Uh, sorry, they're measuring uh, this, the interference of uh, the effects. But they turned it into a sound. Ready? It's that. Well, it sounds like a shit episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> but that's the sound of, of two black holes colliding 1.3 billion years ago. It's not the sound of a black hole. <laughs> it's some tosser in some lab. <laughs> Who said, I'm not that that. Because it's probably got a certain... Actually, this is quite interesting. So yeah. how did he... So there must have been like a, a trace or something exactly. right, on a piece of paper. Yeah, well, it was a And it had a, had a shape and, and one bit was higher than the other bit. Yeah, and, you can, and turn, then, you can turn that into a sound that we could hear, yeah. But sounds have got like tombo and all of the different types of quality apart sure. from volume. So how did they convert those types of... But they, they were... They were able to do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure of exactly the details of how <coughs> they turned it into a sound, but that was the the, the goal is it, it's you can imagine how 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 loud something is. So we, we, we'll talk in sound here because it's it's not actually the sound we're hearing a we're hearing uh, a, an interpretation of it, but something has to be so energetic that the light's been expanding in all directions for a billion years, and so we can still just about hear it. And they they in fact they discovered it very early on to turning on the experiment. There was a guy that's been working on this for kind of 40 years who came up with the idea that uh, this, this should work and he went and got the money and you know, built the instruments and actually measured them. Um, and yeah, we've, that's the sound of, of... Should we do it one more time? That's the sound of... Uh, yeah, go on. That's a good idea. The sound of two black holes uh, coalescing. Oh, hold on. Well, what was the first one and what's the second one? I think it's just the little whoop. I think that's it, and the rest of it's just kind of noise from from other things. But they, they, noise from other things. Well, there's 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 background <laughs> there's background noise from the interferometer, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm a bit skeptical about this. Now you've said that the the other stuff is just another thing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Merry Christmas Merry from Christmas. the Science Shed. Merry Christmas to everyone watching at home, uh, and uh, best, very best for for 2017. I hope we're editing this. Yeah. Do you want to do it? Do you want to try one more? Because I had my clothes off earlier on. Do you remember? <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was the dark time. <laughs>
Shit! Come on, Steve! Bunsen! Burner! Dolly! Shit! Internal! Combustion! Why do we need? Shit! Petri! Dishes! Oscar! Bay! Isaac! Newton! Transplanting! Bunsen!